right, so hello, welcome to another episode. Um, that was just a little thing I wrote recently and I said I'd play it at the start of this one. Um, so, as you can probably guess from the title, um, although I don't know what the title is yet myself, um, in this episode, it's something that I thought of, yeah, recently and... Yeah, it's just been at the back of my mind to do it, and um, yeah, so tonight, again, it seems like the right occasion, and so I'm going to read out my the, the thesis that I wrote for my uh, bachelor's degree um, in art college back in Ireland, and um, when you're doing these, when you're writing a thesis, if, um, if you get above 70, um, a, a copy of your thesis is kept in the library as an example of how to do a good uh, thesis. Uh, I got over 70, so mine was in the library. So, um, And um, it's, it's, you know, it took like from basically September until I think it was the start of January to write this thing. So <laughs> like an episode of a podcast might take, I mean, some of them have taken nearly like two months of research. Um, others like a month or whatever. Others maybe two weeks. Um, this one, yeah. I mean, I haven't read this in, I haven't read the whole thing in well over a decade. Um, I was 21? Was I 20? No, I was 20, 21 or 22 when I wrote this. No, 21 when I wrote this, 22 and I finished it maybe, and I'm now 36. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. Um, a pretty good amount of research went into it. and um, But now, all these years later, it's going to be kind of interesting for me to read it again to see where maybe I was... Um, to see where I would improve on it now, I suppose. Um, what else can I say? Um, yeah, so basically, like, um, yeah, as I'm kind of saying, like, like a podcast, you put a lot of research into it and you prepare it, then you uh, present it. And essentially a thesis is kind of the same thing. You Like in in my college, I guess in most colleges, it's like the thesis is... You have to write about something uh, that just you're interested in. For us, it was that. It was just, what do you want to write it on yourself? And um, you kind of think about, yeah, in, in the end, um, you kind of hone it down to a particular kind of question. Um, I was, I guess, or interested in socially engaged art. Um, and then I kind of honed that down and I kind of, I kind of, uh, yeah, looked into uh, contemporary art practices that are really socially engaged. Um, and yeah, I did a lot of research into that. And the following that I'm going to read out is my res is the result of all of that research. Um, yeah, I, won't, I don't think I need to give too much more of an explanation or an overview of this thesis. Um, I'll just read the title. So the title is a dialogical model for raising awareness of social responsibility. A dialogical model. Dialogical is, you know, talking, two people talking, two people or more talking back and forth about something. So like a dialogical model, like a dialogical way or dialogical 
method um, for raising awareness of social responsibility. And then if I just read the intro of this, of the, of the thesis, you'll, I think the title becomes clear. Um, so the intro is, the aim of this thesis is to show that the social responsibility of every citizen in all society, excuse me, in all societies is intrinsic to the state of a society. Intrinsic, I haven't looked up that word now in a long time, but that's like a vital part, really necessary, I'm pretty sure. Uh, or like, it's like the core of something, I think. I haven't looked it up in a long time now. There's, yeah, there's going to be words here that... Uh, uh, no, I'll probably be able to explain them all, hopefully. So yeah, the aim of this thesis is to show that the social responsibility of every citizen in all societies is intrinsic to the state of their society. If social responsibility for the state of a society is not an intrinsic part of an individual's everyday life, then whose responsibility is it? <laughs> and then in quotation marks, the bewildered herd are subject to the conventions put in place in society by the specialized class. And that bewildered herd comment comes from Noam Chomsky's, uh, what's it called? The book is called Media Control. I think there's a book called Media Control. Yeah. Um, this and uh, Noam Chomsky, such a supporter of uh, the Palestinian, um, of, yeah, of Palestine, um, so, yeah, um, this latter class, the specialized class, this latter class are those members of society who have achieved positions of power by serving people with real power. To be a part of this class, one must indoctrinate oneself deeply in the values and interests of private power and become accustomed to the state corporate nexus that represents it. Once this is achieved, then one can be a part of this specialized class. The, re the remainder in society basically just have to be kept in the dark. They must, remain, they must remain oppressed as spectators of their society and not be allowed to become active participants. They simply have to be distracted. Just make sure this is still recording. Yes, it is. The bewildered herd are alienated from their facility for rational thought about their role in society and thus are subject to the consequences of their actions guided only by emotion and impulse. Maybe. Okay. 21-year-old <laughs> version of me here talking. I think it's all, it's all pretty... Um, applicable and appropriate still social health is not on the masses agenda they have been distracted and alienated from their rightful role in society and what's that the rightful role is in society i was saying like is an informed citizen who's empowered by uh getting good information on things so he can't be manipulated or led blindly into something by who knows by what or who um, the former concern is replaced with a superimposed desire for material wealth. So rather than, and I think I was saying like, rather than people like maybe, I don't know, crit criticizing things in society and trying to improve things, they just, uh, are just consumers, you know, consumers. We just, uh, yeah, 
I'll, I'll just continue because the thesis explains it, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. This thesis discusses the state of our Western world's capitalist consumer societies. The individuals in these consumer societies are presented with distorted realities fabricated by those in power in order to keep themselves in power. The fabricated, stultifying ideologies disseminated by the mass media are the manifestations of the corrupted, esoteric nature of power held by the specialized class. <laughs> they don't want people thinking for themselves and all that kind of stuff. The fabricated stultifying ideologies, stultifying, I have not used that word probably since I wrote this thing, stultifying, I think that means kind of like stupefying, <laughs> I think, um, you can look it up, stultifying. Artistic practices are reciprocal to an ever-transforming society, reciprocal, meaning like they kind of, uh, um, like a symbiosis, like they kind of uh, react to and uh, engage in a dialogue with um, society. What did I say there? Artistic practices are reciprocal to an ever-transforming society. In light of the problems in the Western world, which chapter one elucidates, meaning sheds light on, the artistic critique which opposes these stultifying conditions is discussed in chapter two and three. In chapters two and three. Um... All right, so yeah, so chapter one is going to be all about the, the problems in the Western world that art, some of the problems in the Western world that art is trying to engage with. Um, and then I think chapter two is going to be about a little brief history of socially engaged art throughout, um, I think it was the 20th century at least. And then in the final chapter, I kind of talk about current artistic practices that are really socially engaged. So... That was that was the kind of setup of the thesis. I talk about the problem in society that I want to deal with. Then I talk about how art practices in the past have dealt with problems from um, problems within society of their time. And then I just talk about how those artistic practices led to the one that I'm going to talk about in the third chapter. So, yeah. So chapter one was called The Society of the Spectacle. And that's actually a book that I'm going to describe in this. I read that book for this, um, yeah, for this research. So chapter 1.1, apprehending the spectacle, meaning like perceiving it. My investigation for this thesis was inspired mainly by a book titled The Society of the Spectacle, which is available online at no cost. Yep, it still is. Um, it was written by a French artist, Guy Debord. Um that's G-U-Y, like Guy, and then D-E-B-O-R-D, Debord, Guy Debord in French. Um, the Society of the Spectacle is an extensive reinterpretation of the writings of Karl Marx. Um, I'm not exactly a Marxist. I haven't read enough Marx's writings to be one, but um, probably I would... Um, have maybe similar um, critiques of uh, capitalism. Um, but, yeah, I think in this thesis, I was maybe a little bit naive in in relation to, uh, I think I was almost sympathetic to communistic ideas, but now I wouldn't really. Um, I mean, it's what I've been saying recently in my posts and in other podcasts. It's like capitalism gives freedom but 
it's when people are, are doing so much exploitation that's when capitalism becomes a uh, really problematic uh, to the detriment of some people and to the major gain of others. Um, so if there was capitalism with a conscience, you know, anything with a conscience is going to be better. So anyway, I'll just continue on. Um, the book, This book is a powerful indictment, I mean like critique, of the pervasive ideologies that are disseminated by the mass media to enculturate a stultifying consumerist culture by colonizing the imagination of the masses. Colonizing the imagination of the masses. That's another way of saying brainwashing, <laughs> to colonize someone's imagination. De Boer was a member of the artistic collective in France called Situationists International. This, group dedicated, this group's dedicated project was to critique all aspects of consumer societies. De Boer's book has been of central importance to analyzing mediated culture in consumer societies since its publishing. In his analysis, he scrutinizes late 20th century media culture. His main finding is that images are the new dictators a critique which this is a quote from the book then a critique which grasps the spectacles essential character reveals it to be a visible negation of life a negation that has taken on a visible form now what does that mean do i explain it our very ability to see the problem that is the spectacle and our right not to choose this model of life is taken from us as we are involuntarily submerged into this sea of passivity without realizing it. To be united with this spectacular society, we must accept the alienation from ourselves that this society needs in order to sustain itself. This acceptance, however, is not done as a conscious act of volition by its by its citizens. It is constantly it is by constantly bombarding the citizens with manipulating representations that the citizens begin to adhere to these cliched representations as a means of living. Through constant bombardment, the real problem becomes invisible, which is life is being reduced to a representation. Um, I don't know if I say it somewhere here, but it's like, you know, from so many films we watch and so many like uh, advertisements of, you know, lifestyles advertised and all this kind of stuff. People think they have to just do what they see from the t television. And so it's like it's like on the television, you get a script and you want to apply to whichever script you prefer rather than thinking for yourself and uh, yeah, being yourself. Mm. That's kind of what I was getting at here. The members of the Society of the Spectacle have lost their ability to engage critically with representations disseminated by the media. The attitude which the spectacle requires as its principle is the passive acceptance that the spectacle itself has already obtained its unquestionable domination through its manner of appearing without reply. Its monopoly of appearances intimidates to the point that it is unquestionable. Its, this is quotations, its sole message is what appears is good and what is good appears.
um, just last night, actually, I was reading, uh, I was rereading the first chapter of Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra, and he talks about, um, <laughs> um, he, in, in it, he was talking about um, the Superman, which is what he was um, kind of trying to encourage versus the ultimate man, which was like, he said, the way he put it was the person who no longer is trying to overcome himself is the person who is happy to live in a miserable ease, who has no critique left in him, who just accepts everything as it is. That's kind of maybe, I mean, Guy Debord pr surely probably read some Nietzsche as well. Maybe he was even an influence on Guy Debord. Its sole message is what appears is good and what is good appears. Debord elucidates the central importance of the image in contemporary culture. Debord argues, Debord, <laughs> Debord, that French or argues that life is reduced to a representation, a mere spectacle. Debord, <laughs> I can't get it. I'm so out of practice with French. Um, Debord associates the concentrated spectacle primarily with bureaucratic capitalism. Another quote. For Debord, the spectacle is a tool of pacification and depoliticization. It is a permanent opium, opium war which stupefies social subjects and distracts them from the most urgent task of real life, which is recovering the full range of their human powers through creative practice. And that was a quote from a guy called Douglas Kellner in Media Culture and the Triumph of the Spectacle. Um, it was a book about the, the, the sight of the spectacle. Um, the spectacle promotes mediocrity by trying to instill apathy into the heart of its societies. Apathy is like just having no real interest in things or in anything, maybe. <laughs> you know, like not being interested in important issues, maybe. You'd be apathetic about that. If you just prefer to go watch films and entertain yourself, you're maybe apathetic towards, you know, political realities in the world. Um, it does so, the spectacle promotes mediocrity by trying to instill apathy into the heart of its societies. It does so successfully by illusionistic manipulation, where, quote, truth is considered profane and only illusion is sacred. And that was from the Society of Spectacle as well. It does so to keep the masses comfortably numb. I stole that from a Pink Floyd um, <laughs> song or album, Comfortably Numb. Um, the spectacle depoliticizes the masses by mystifying consciousness through the abundance of representations to the point that consumer culture appears inexorable as a model of life. And inexorable, I'm pretty sure it means like, like there's no other way. It can only be this way. Um, so... Um, it, this the spectacle depoliticizes the masses by mystifying consciousness through the abundance of representations to the point that consumer culture appears inexorable as a mode of life. The proliferation of images is necessary to keep the citizens of these consumer cultures as good consumers. The proliferation of images is necessary to keep the citizens of these consumer cultures as good consumers and to keep the monopoly of capitalism as a plausible system, which purports to satisfy, meaning kind of like 
claims to, which claims to satisfy the needs and desires of those under its reign. In fact, these needs and desires are not the real needs of its people. They are the fabricated desires which are superimposed on the public. The real need in these societies is the need itself of a critique of needs and desires, as in our world these very things have been corrupted and distorted by advertising, marketing and the media in capitalist consumer societies. Um, chapter 1.2 This is called Dictating Appearances. The society of the spectacle represents modes of living as appearances and so once the public are corralled by the illusions, corralled is like when you're, if a farmer is trying to get his sheep into a pen he's trying to corral his sheep into the pen into the little kind of a fenced off area you're corralled by the illusions capitalism has replaced the people's materialistic needs with the needs of the egocentric economy for its own growth and profit consumer culture represent or presents different forms of individualities that individuals can subscribe to as in identification of selfhood with a choice of products you see you're 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 defining your sense of identity based on what some other person has designed for you and you just go ahead and choose that and you know you don't want to go outside of those the signs that your clothing gives off or the signs that your whatever gives off your well yeah clothing is a big part of it i guess or maybe what restaurants you eat in or what bars you go to or something um the kind of uh the semi the semiotics of of clothing <laughs> i think semiotics is the study of signs um i think what i just said there is is appropriate the semiotics of clothing Maybe could be onto something there. Um, consumer cultures present different forms of individualities that individuals can subscribe to, as in identification of selfhood with a choice of products. Once corralled, I mean, like, would you go around wearing, I don't know, clothes you made yourself? Or would you feel like you look like too much of a weirdo? <laughs> um, would it be too jarring for everyone or for yourself um once corralled once caught in the all of the advertisements that you think you can you you own those are your only choices to choose from once corralled by this fabricated need to fulfill one's individuality through obtaining material goods the spectacle takes hold spectacular image making dictates identity People are presented with representations of identities which they then, accordingly, buy the accessories to match their desired representation, image or appearance. Uh, the, this, I just remember now, around this time in college, I just re <laughs> I remember being so, mm, like, really, really, like, uh, like, cynical or just really, like disgusted with like everything for quite a while um and like and like hating like you know yeah even like just dressing nicely whatever the hell that means yeah college eh? it was like um yeah uh, i'd have to reflect on reflect on that more now to go into it but uh, i'm just vaguely reminded of of um 
of something there. Um, spectacular image making make dictates identity. People are presented with representations of identities, which they then accordingly buy the accessories to match their desired representation, image or appearance. The spectacle rejuvenates itself constantly by superimposing false needs upon the individual. Quote, the image of blissful social unification through Consumption merely postpones the consumer's awareness of the actual division until his disillusionment with some particular commodity. It preys on this sense of identity and bombards people with its superficial, infectious domination by appearances. By appearances, Debord, quote, the spectacle is not a collection of images. It is a social relationship between people that is mediated by images. Like, I don't know, like, uh, I really don't, I, I really don't bother with brands. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay mm, like 70 euros or something for a t-shirt because it says some brand and not the, like, if, you know, a completely blank T-shirt, like a black T-shirt with just a little brand on it. And then you have to pay 70 euros, whereas you can go to some other shop and get a T-shirt probably of similar quality with no brand on it. And it's like five euros or something. I just uh, that's what I'm, that's what this is kind of talking about. You know, it's like. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll go on. You know what I'm probably saying? Um so I was saying, that was in relation to the last quote, the spectacle is not a collection of images, it is a social relationship between people that is mediated by images. You know, from advertisements and you see some actor wearing some brand and then the person wants to go and buy that because they think they're like that person <laughs> or something. Anyway, human relations are no longer directly experienced as individuals only re relate to each other via representations of the mass media. Quote, everything that was directly lived has receded into a representation. That was, these are all quotes from Society of the Spectacle. The board again, separation is itself an integral part of the unity of this world, of a global social practice split into reality and image. The separation the board describes takes its form when people are alienated from themselves. The world they live in is the world of externality. In their light, in that their life becomes a representation to them, a representation being an externality. That's a, uh, yeah, that's, um, People go with, it's like you're carrying around this image of yourself and so concerned with this image of yourself rather than just actually being your, your like super conscious of this image of yourself maybe or something to a certain degree. I don't know. Um, yeah. This society offers no alternative models to life as anything which does not support the monetary system is cast aside, shut down or spectacularized. Yeah, meaning like commodified. As any alternative would threaten the society of the spectacles intention to appear as inexorable as 
as like the only way. Therefore, to be an individual as pitched by con capitalism's consumer model of society and its corollary, corollary, the society of the spectacle, is to construct an outward appearance of yourself which is geared towards establishing one's position in a bureaucratic society, thus constructing ourselves to suit the corrupted, greedy, egocentric attitude towards life that the Western world's consumer societies nurture in order to thrive. This, quote, this structural shift to a society of the spectacle involves a commodification of previously non-colonized sectors of social life and the extension of bureaucratic control to the realms of leisure, desire and everyday life. Commodification is the process through which social relations are reduced to exchange relations. The power of commodities to dictate social relations is creeping into all aspects of life. Quote, for example, ads often place commodities at the center of idyllic fa familial relations. Just think of the many McDonald's commercials in which dad shares a moment of quality time with his son over a Happy Meal that includes a plastic promo from the latest Disney movie. Imagery of exchange is replaced by a representation of a caring moment between father and child. So, as in this example, a father may feel obliged to take his child out for dinner rather than perhaps the two cooking in tandem at home. Um, the representation of the caring moment, yeah, the caring moment there, uh, the representation of the caring moment in the advertisement might make the father equate equality time with his son as a meal at McDonald's. <laughs> um, the desire to obtain the toy may be the driving force in the child's decision to go to McDonald's. The father would not like to upset the child, and so he may feel emotionally obliged to take his son to McDonald's. <laughs> if the father were young enough, he may have been brought to a fast food restaurant as a child himself for the same reason his child is being brought. The family may, the father may have fond memories of the experience and so he may feel that his child deserves the same feeling of a unfortunately commodified family experience as offered by McDonald's. <laughs> um, a, a vicious circle is ossified. Ossified means like uh, coming from the French word for bone, which is os, so it's like turning something to bone, so it's like set in stone. Uh, a vicious circle is ossified. Life is thus becoming more a representation than authentic experience. The trouble lies where people cannot see these representations as cliches, but interpret these thoughts as what they should do in any given situation. These representations, which we are bombarded with in relation to all aspects of life, must be filtered in order for one's consciousness to remain free from the stultifying conventions society imposes on its citizens. And that sentence there again is me kind of, um, when, I, when I said earlier on, the colonization of people's imaginations in consumerist society. To think that they have to do this or that. Um, this is... Um, these representations which we are bombarded with in relation to all aspects of life must be filtered, like critiqued or detached from, in order for, for one's consciousness to remain free from the stultifying conventions society imposes uh, on its citizens. Basically, from all the advertising 
uh, of ways of life. Mm. The, the insidious nature of the mass media in all its forms, advertising through media such as TV, internet, posters, magazines and newspapers, preys on people's desires to live a happy and fulfilled life. In the example described above, McDonald's presents presented, I think I made a typo there, McDonald's presents, left out an S, presents a commodified scenario. The father feels that he and his son are missing out when viewing the advertisement. Commodities dictate social relations and the mass media ossifies these relations. As the board states, quote, the spectacle is the stage at which the commodity has succeeded in totally colonizing social life. Commodification is not only visible, we no longer see anything else. The world we see is the world of the commodity. In his book, Life, the Movie, How Entertainment Conquered Reality, author and political commentator Neil Gabler states, quote, We star in our own lifeies, making our lives inter en into entertainment acted out for audiences of our peers, following the scripts of media culture, adopting its role models and fashion types, its style and look. The board words this himself as he states, the spectacle is a concrete inversion of life, an autonomous movement of the non-living. <laughs> this is section three of the first chapter, the spirit of capitalism. A prerequisite for capitalism's consumer societies, uh, a prerequisite, something that's required before something can happen, a prerequisite for capitalism's consumer societies and their corollary, the society of the spectacle, is an emphasis on rationality. Mm. People who live and abide by these societies must think in terms of production and always in terms of economy of time. David Inglis explains how, for German sociologist Max Weber, quote, modern Western culture was characterized by exceptionally high levels of rationality. No other society exhibited such a stress on rational, on rational procedures for doing things. No other culture had ever been quite so based around rational principles as our own. Um, you know... Time is money. The, the the pervasiveness of that in m probably most people's minds is yeah is unprecedented. Perhaps is what Max Weber was saying, meaning it's reached a, the highest point of that in humans in our time. This shows how consumer society has affected people's attitudes in how they go about their everyday lives. Ayn Rand was a Russian-American novelist and philosopher. She formulated a philosophy which she turned, termed objectivism. She argues that this philosophy, which is the only way man can achieve and retain his fundamental rights, can only be upheld in the capitalist society. She is quoted as saying, I am not primarily an advocate of capitalism, but of egoism. And I am not primarily an advocate of egoism, but of reason. 
Her philosophy of objectivism and championing of reason when integrated into society where the objective was self-interest, profit and gain provides rationale for one to pursue self-interested agendas manifesting, manifesting in greed for profit because if this rational if this rationale is used is used <laughs> because if this rationale is used people can achieve that which is presented to them it justifies the spirit of capitalism it emphasizes the use of rationality in a competitive society i might just uh, finish the first chapter and then leave the episode at that because i did this episode kind of spontaneously and I'm actually a bit hungry, <laughs> so uh, it will be better if I continue it after I've eaten. Um, she argues that the free market model of society is the only way to facilitate the fundamental rights of man, as defined in her philosophy of objectivism. And she was a Russian writer, so she came from a communist uh, experience uh, I think the fundamental, so that's why she was all for capitalism, the fundamental right being the right of life. From this, all other rights, including liberty, property and the pursuit of happiness are derived. The only obligation is maintaining your right. It, the only obligation in maintaining your rights is that you do not initiate force on another to obtain that which you desire. Hmm. You can't just invade someone's life or someone's country and say, I want this. <laughs> you are free to do as you please as long as this obligation is respected. Mm. The laissez-faire, mm, thats fr it's a French kind of economic term for like leave people to do whatever they want. The laissez-faire approach to economics gives rise to the competitive consumer market of our times. You are free to ascend to the heights that you believe you can achieve, and thus hierarchy is born. Different classes are produced in society, and inequality is constructed. Quote, Capitalism is the system of individual rights. The intellectuals on all sides are for some... Capitalism is the system of individual rights. The intellectuals on all sides are for some form of collectivism. Capitalism is the system of individualism, self-interest and happiness. The intellectuals are for altruism, self-sacrifice and misery. Capitalism is pro-reason. The intellectuals are steeped in mysticism and subjectivism. What the hell was this from? This was from... Mm, some critique of uh, communism, some capitalism.org. Um, um, this quote is from a pro-capitalist source. We see how the opinion of the opposition is slandered and that capitalism is championed as <laughs> the only means to achieve happiness. <laughs> Maybe this part could have been written better. Reason, it's logic, but reason becomes instrumental reason, which is dehumanizing. And what is instrumental reason? Instrumental reason is when commodities become a fetish and consumers begin to relate to the world in a purely instrumental way in order to obtain that which they desire to state, to sate, to satisfy their fetish. Their fetish is like whatever they desire. Henri Lefebvre. French philosopher who critiqued 
the infiltrating rationalities that have invaded our everyday lives elucidates, sheds light on the problem inherent in rationale such as Ayn Rand's objectivism. Quote, modernity encourages, <laughs> modernity encourages an inward-looking solipsistic consciousness. Solipsistic is like kind of thinking you're the only kind of thing that exists. Modernity encourages an inward-looking solipsistic consciousness, one that is centered on an individual's particular occupational specialization, family, life, and class, determined forms of commodity consumption and determined forms of commodity consumption. This leads to a hyper-inflammation of the self-contained imperious ego and encourages, and encourages us to adopt a purely instrumental attitude towards the world, seeing it as a means to an end. This instrumental reasoning occurs when the mass media has colonized the imagination of its viewer. Collectivism is opposed to the, individual, in, to the individualism which fuels capitalism. There is a lack, maybe I should just say, yeah, this instrumental rationality, it's um, like if you're talking with a person but you just want something from the person, you're, you're using the person as a means to get the thing you want rather than seeing the person as an ends in and of themselves. You're essentially using a person as a tool or an instrument to get the thing that you want rather than realizing that the person is uh, an ends, meaning a person is a person and not just a tool for you to use to get the thing that you want. That's what in, uh, instrumental rationality means. Uh, it's quite dehumanizing to just see someone as a tool, you know. Um, there is a lack of responsibility in these societies for the consequences of one's actions as a result of this autonomous movement of the non-living, as quoted earlier. An awareness of these societies' insidious passivity must be brought about if the actors, basically what I was saying there is waking up to the massive amount of kind of manipulation and coercion that's going on in consumer societies when, yeah, uh, when people's imagination is being colonized by, let's say, advertisement. Um and an awareness of these societies insidious that's like evilly sneaking up uh, passivity must be brought about if the actors who play roles in advertisements and indeed the advertisers too realized the entirety of the consequences of their role playing would they still accept these jobs is the bribe that they receive for playing these roles in advertising really worth it Society as a whole ultimately has to pay the price for an individual's lack of social responsibility and moral courage. If the emphasis in society was not on how to earn money, but how to make society as a whole better, through reflection, people would see through the seemingly harmless aspects of everyday life, such as the roles actors play in ossifying social relations through the mass media. As the board states, Quote, the concept of the spectacle interrelates and explains a wide range of seemingly unconnected phenomena. phenomena. 
When workers desire jobs only to acquire capital, the role they play in society becomes secondary to the the economy's primary perpetual pursuit of profit. I'll just read that again. Got a bit tongue twisted there. When workers desire jobs only to acquire capital, meaning money, the role they play in society becomes secondary to the economy's primary perpetual pursuit of profit. Yeah, a bit of alliteration going on there. All the P's. This is especially detrimental to society when jobs which entail a high level of social consequence are sought after solely out of self interest for profit this ossifies society to the state it is in so a a person who's just more interested in rising up in his particular job because he's more interested in the higher money than he is in actually being responsible for all of the um, ways in which his job is going to affect other people and society you know society um Republic of Conscience, that idea, uh, whenever, whenever, when I came across it in the poet uh, Seamus Heaney's, uh, yeah, and he wrote a poem called From the Society, From the Republic of, uh, of Conscience. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll, I'll go on. <laughs> um, I've said this in other, in, I spoke about this idea, I think, in um, the episode about, um, uh, what's it called? Um, Henry David Thoreau, the one on civil disobedience. So if you want to hear more about that idea fleshed out, um, I think I spoke a bit more about that in that episode. So when this is especially detrimental, meaning destructive, to societies, when jobs which entail a high level of social consequence are sought after solely out of self-interest for profit, this ossifies society to the state it is in. Understood, quote, understood in its tot- in its totality, the spectacle is both the result and the goal of the dominant mode of production. The spectacle aims at nothing other than itself. And then that's the end of chapter one. And then chapter two is called uh, A Paradigm Shift in Practice. So then, yeah, chapter two, uh, section one is called Committed Art. So then... In, in light of the problems previously discussed in chapter one, the role of the artist is under revision due to the restraints placed on it by bureaucracy and commodification in capitalist societies, which impedes human potential. Here, the relevance of art in so ideologically an oppressed society is clear. This oppression gives rise to changing notions of the artist in pursuit of emancipation, Artists throughout history have been mirrors to society and it is through the reflective nature of the artist that society has often been shown for what it is and thus provoking a need for change where necessary. Utopian ideologies have been at the centre of many artistic careers. Is this... uh... I think I'll leave it at that... Just do this in two short sections. Probably going to be a short episode, actually. Um, leave it at that because I really, really want to eat. Um, so yeah, um, when I start the next episode, I'll yeah take back up where I left off here. So there we are. How long did that go on for? That was it. Forty-eight minutes. Yeah. Okay. 
catch you in uh catch you after the break <laughs> after the lunch break <laughs> ciao